Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Jade. And this episode is all about how to help young children in primary school be accepting of all types of appearances. As it is this time of year, once again, when children are headed back to school with the little backpacks, albeit a bit different than usual, to be honest. It is different, but I still, I love back to school season. I also feel like we're back to school with the podcast after (laughs) our little summer break. Um, But before we get into the episode, look at us on episode 51. I can't believe we missed our 50th episode landmark last time. Maybe we're getting a bit humble in our old age, Jade. Ah, no, I I agree. Um, I guess that kind of just snuck up on us a bit, didn't it? For sure, it really did. And probably this is a good moment to say, for those of you who have been with us since day one, hi there, Jade's Nan. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) hi Nan. (laughs) A big thank you for your support. And for those of you, if this is your first episode with us, then welcome. We hope you enjoy and do please check out the archive. Lots yeah. of great content out there. Definitely. I love that, Nadia. Um, and if you are listening for the first time, I also want to mention we have another episode, which is all about tackling body image, but in secondary schools. So please do check that one out too. It is very relevant to this episode. And while we are on the topic of milestones... Since the last episode, um, Nadia sat her viva and passed, so <laughs> congratulations, you amazing human being. <laughs> Thanks, Jade. I love how you're more excited about it than I am, but um, glad hashtag PhD life is over. I feel like by the end, I had basically become every PhD meme out there, which is probably not the best best of looks, So, um, but, but yeah. I, um. I can slowly <laughs> see myself becoming the phd memes every day so also hashtag humble on your end because you should be throwing a party every day for your fabulous self so congrats once again (laughs) (laughs) so funny anyway let's um get on with the episode yes let's so as jade mentioned earlier two years ago did you know this episode was two years ago that we did it jade are you for real i actually thought it was one year two i know i actually thought it was one year but no it was september 2018 we put out an episode on tackling body image in secondary schools um which here in the uk includes children aged 11 to 16 or 11 to 18 if the school has a sixth form and in the episode we spoke about school-based body image interventions and heard from Professor Philippa Deirdrichs about the science behind those interventions, as well as hearing the perspective from a local secondary school teacher, Mr Ian Murdoch, about what it's like delivering those interventions and why they're needed in schools from that teacher perspective. Yeah, it was great. So this episode will be specifically focusing on how to tackle body image and to promote acceptance of appearance diversity in schools, but with even younger children this time, so primary school age, which is four to 11 in the UK. Yes, and now this is such an important topic because body image research tends to be focused on adolescents, with research indicating that teenagers are particularly vulnerable to struggling with poor body image, which in itself is a predictor for other concerns such as low self-esteem, depression and disordered eating. So as a result, most school-based interventions or prevention programmes for body image are targeted at early adolescents, so roughly 
age 11 to 14. However, some recent research published by Emily Lacroix and some of our colleagues at CAR suggests that the critical period for developing poor body image might occur before young people reach secondary schools, so before the age of 11. And then in addition, other research, including a study published by our co-director at CAR, Amy Slater, along with Marika Tigerman, found that over 50% of girls aged 6 to 9 indicate a desire to be thinner. So then, and I'm nearly done, um, (laughs) research also indicates that children develop negative attitudes towards other people based on appearance and things like body size early on in childhood. So all of this together suggests a need to work on the prevention of poor body image with this younger age group. Yeah, exactly. So to add to that, research by Rebecca Bigler and Lynn Liblin in 2007 found social stereotyping and prejudice regarding appearance can develop by the age of four years. Um, But actually, some research has suggested this can be even younger too. Yes. So this was found back in 1998 in a classic study by Phoebe Kramer and Tiffany Steinwert, who found children as young as three years old can have negative attitudes towards those of higher weight. Yeah, you heard that right. By three years of age, so before primary school years in the UK even begin, children can have negative attitudes towards those of higher weight. And to support research on that exact topic, because that study, for example, is over 20 years old now, a recent study by myself and who Nadia just mentioned earlier, our co-director at CAR, Amy Slater, and Heidi Williams, who's also at CAR. There's, and also Faye Lewis, who is an educational specialist here here well here in inverted commas because I'm at home but at UE (laughs) Um, all of us recently conducted a study with four to 11 year old children and found support for these findings in 2019 so very recent oh please do tell Jade (laughs) yeah so I'm actually quite excited to tell you guys this um so we conducted a study looking at primary school age children's attitudes towards various appearances so we, we included a number of characters. So we had a character with higher weight, a character with a facial burn, a character in a wheelchair, wearing glasses, and then a control character which had no appearance deviation, as we would put it. We found that children as young as four years had negative attitudes towards the higher weight character. And these negative attitudes continued all the way up until age 11 to the end of primary school years, which is very similar to the study by Phoebe Kramer and Tiffany Mm -hmm. Steinberg that you just mentioned, Nadia. Um, We also then found that when children reached the age of six years, they began to have negative attitudes towards the character with a facial burn. And this stayed consistent until age 11 as well. And then lastly, the character in a wheelchair was viewed negatively, but only by boys at the age of nine to 11 years. So there were no negative attitudes towards the character wearing glasses and the control character with no appearance deviation, which is, yeah, quite interesting, I think. It's so interesting and there's a lot in there. So if you were to sum all of this up, what would you say? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Nadia. Well, to sum this up quite nicely and to support the the previous research, children indeed can have negative attitudes towards those with different appearances, especially higher weight and a visible difference. And this is evident within primary school years. And so, yeah, it is important to focus on younger children when considering interventions, like you said, Nadia, earlier, not, not just in early adolescence, but even younger. So 
At least that was the emerging research in this area and what is indicating. But there is still so much more research to be done in and in other cultures and other ways to evidence this further and try and understand a bit more. Yeah, completely. And it'll be so interesting to add that intersectionality lens into it. So to see how race, for example, might alter those results in different ways. So that would be really cool as a as a next step, Jade. Um, <laughs> Thanks, sir. I, I've got all these things. I know, <laughs> all these other projects that you can uh, do in all that free time that you have. Um, so I think it, this is a really good time after delving into some of the evidence we've spoken about body image among children but also about the appearance prejudices prejudice i don't know prejudices Prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) okay so i think we're now at a perfect point after delving into some of the research on childhood body image and hearing about children's attitudes and perceptions to different appearances to now hear from a primary school teacher and hear their perspective on this topic. Yeah, I completely agree. So I had the opportunity to speak to Emily Williams, who is a primary school teacher at St Peter's Primary School. Emily is currently a year three teacher as of this academic year. So that's children aged seven to eight years. And without further ado, let's hear from Emily. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for joining us on Appearance Matters, the podcast. It's really great to discuss this topic, especially as it's back to school right now. First day back. Um, Yeah, thank you for having me. It's lovely. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And so we're talking about the topic of promoting acceptance of all appearances in primary schools from the perspective of yourself, a teacher. Um, So that kind of leads me into my first question which is why do you think it is important for children to learn and discuss about the notion that everyone looks different and accepting of all appearances, but in primary schools? Um, I think, well, obviously it's a really important notion for everybody, but I think for children to understand that it's something that we need to learn about at a young age, I think is really important. And obviously in order for us to promote change, education, I think is key for that. Um, and through doing it in school, we have, an, uh, we have the opportunity to educate a whole generation about inclusion and diversity, which I think is an invaluable opportunity, really. And I think giving children the opportunity to learn not just about inclusion and diversity, but about empathy towards that sort of area is really, really important. And making sure that children can empathise with people before acting in a way that could be seen as being negative or offensive, really. So it's sort of getting them to naturally empathise and act in a positive way before they get to that point where it could almost be an issue. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no of course. No, that sounds, makes complete sense. Um, and I was wondering, is empathy something that is already kind of built in or is this something that would be more, like, more able to be entwined in this topic about promotion of acceptance of appearances? I think it's something that's... I mean, in primary schools, we... Uh, teaching of empathy tends to be I mean I know for myself I try and instill it in everything that I do it's something that kind of I try and underpin within every subject but I think especially when talking about this kind of content I think it's really important that children can empathize with anybody and not just you know a child's world is very small and I think if we can educate them about people that 
aren't included in their world and broaden their world, then we can help build that empathy and make sure that they can empathize with people who they may not even come across. So I think it's, yeah, really key. I think that's a great point. And I actually like, I like the point you made about even if they're not in their world, which you say is like obviously can be quite small. Um, do you think that it can be sometimes more important to be inclusive of types of appearances that might not be in their world than if they did come across it per se? Definitely, I think, because I know from, again, from my experience, I've seen that children who are in as an example in a class with a child who has got a visible difference they if they have been with that child since you know nursery reception they don't they don't think twice about it it's the norm for them so if we can expose children to other things that you know they don't see every day in order for those things to become the norm then we can hopefully you know sort of squash any chance of prejudice and negativity sort of building in them manifesting itself later yeah I think that's a great point and I, I wanted to ask do you think that primary school age is a good age to target and and why might that be definitely I think I mean as kind of links back to the point we were saying earlier about how if children do have exposure to something from a young age they don't they don't think twice so if we can target children to see things in a to see difference in a positive way and celebrate that difference from a young age, then that will then become the norm for them for the rest of their lives. And I think one when I was thinking about, you know, my experiences of teaching children and trying to get them to understand and celebrate difference, I think one thing that really came to my mind was was about social media and how social media use is becoming, you know, younger and younger. And I have children, you know, I know children in school who are in key stage one and they have access to social media and I think and you know we know as adults that social media can be really damaging to us and our mental health mm -hmm. therefore damaging could it be for for children and so I think if we can almost get in there first you know because through social media we only see an airbrushed part of society I think and especially you know I think weight stigma is a big thing that social media does not help Definitely. and I think children in school I think can be even at a young age I think weight is something that they will pick up on at a young age to be unkind to each other about and if we can normalize difference in that way before they start to see what they see on social media then we can hopefully make a bit of a change yeah I think that's a really good point I also want to pick up on something that I found that was really interesting about like when this stigma might start to come in so I wondered if like within yeah just school in general whether you think there's a certain age that stigma might start to develop in children a bit more predominantly yeah I think I think it's quite difficult to pinpoint a particular almost year group or age that it starts and I think it really does depend on the kind of stigma that you're referring to but I think if it's children are they're not children aren't born with negative views they they're learned behaviors so it's I mean I I've seen and heard children who are you know in reception year one say things that are unkind to other children about the way they look so I think it can start really early and it's and that's when I know my sort of teaching about difference and things will come into play when it's very much an incidental I mean I try and underpin it in everything but making sure that it's addressed as and when it needs to be and 
we make children realise that that's not acceptable and we need to not pinpoint the way other people look, but talk about that. And it's getting them to almost <laughs> ask questions <laughs> before they speak, really. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And actually, um, at the beginning of this episode, that links quite nicely to the research that we talk about, because we talk about how the research shows that there's stigma towards different appearances with children as young as like the age of four, if not earlier. But that does vary according to the type of appearance that's presented. So that matches also with what what you said as well, Emily, which is great. Um, Well, it's not great, but... It's, you know what I mean, it's... I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask as well then about, do you think teachers are well equipped to teach this topic in the classroom? I know you mentioned that you try and underpin it with things that you discuss. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that? I think it's, it's, diff- it's difficult, really. I think we have, I mean, as teachers, I think we try and... You know, obviously, we're trying to get children to be able to read and write and do maths and things. and But we're also trying to teach them life skills to become functional members of society. And a way of us doing that is by teaching them how to, you know, how to be kind and how to be polite. And this is definitely something that's really important. But whether we have, I think there are limited resources out there um, that enable sort of exposure to difference in a positive way which I mean I know we we do have there are schemes that I know the school that I work in we use a scheme which a PSHE scheme that has a topic in it which is called celebrating difference but that is very much again like I sort of mentioned earlier it's difference that children will probably come across naturally in their lives so talking about different family structures and things and things that they might come across through their friends but not necessarily, as I said, things that are outside of their standard world. They mm-hmm. might get to a point where they're in their teens, when they're in their teenage years, and they they see something that they've never seen before, and they don't know how to react to it. So yeah. I think we need a broader range of resources to be able to educate them. And I think that you know each individual individual classroom is filled with a massive range of diversity, and obviously each classroom that is there little range and I think we need to for every class be able to broaden that which is quite difficult to do but yeah I was gonna say it it's a mammoth task in general um but I really like your point about allowing that space that they have which can be quite small to be broadened out just by considering including different types of appearances in in small things like materials they have and and equipment and things like that and how that might then make things less smaller with what is the norm for them yeah definitely I think as well like teachers despite what the children think we we don't know everything (laughs) so I think you know it can be quite difficult because we don't they might ask us a question about something you know, or, you know, why does that person look like that? And I, I don't know the answers to all of these questions. So I think teacher education is a big part of that as well. So being able to have resources that can enable us to answer questions in a way that is positive and informative was really important. Yeah, I completely agree. That actually does link as well to um, my next question, which is what do you think would help teachers in the future to discuss this topic so I wondered like 
on the back of that, which is a great point about helping teachers be more prepared to respond to these kind of comments or questions. Is there anything else that you think would help, yeah, teachers discuss this topic? Yeah, I think obviously, as I, as I pre previously mentioned, you know, increased resources and I think teacher education is a, is a big part of this because I think if we have the skills to be able to, un, uh, you know, answer the difficult questions that we might be asked and to be able to educate children in a positive way about diversity and, you know, differences in appearance, then obviously what we teach reflects very heavily on them. As an example um, of previously in, in my sort of career, I've had parents of children who have a difference come into school and, you know, talk to the class about that, which is really informative for all of the children and also for myself, because I, I'm learning alongside the rest of the class about this child and why, you know, they look the way they do. And I think that's really important. And even you know, liaison with parents, liaison with charities, maybe, of, mm -hmm. you know, differences and things just to improve our yeah just improving your knowledge um and your experience as well as experience of others and the children yeah so I think our knowledge will help us to understand and therefore empathize better so if we understand you know why things are the way they are you know why somebody has a difference in appearance then we can it will almost prevent us thinking about that in a negative way yeah will educate children that they need to think about things before they before they speak about them, before they stare before they you know ask questions Could, you know we need to also I think encouraging children to ask questions difficult questions in a safe and controlled way I think as well is really important so they know that they can ask questions if they have questions about somebody who looks different mm. to know the kind of questions to ask yeah and that also comes with the point of knowledge isn't it you need to have that knowledge underpinning for you to feel comfortable enough in those positions to ask questions which are sensitive and in the right way is there any is there anything else in that in that point that you wanted to mention Emily I think the only other thing I would possibly mention is um building teacher confidence with discussing like issues like this with a class because I think they're I know for myself I can occasionally feel a little bit anxious that I'm using making sure that I'm using the correct vocabulary that is not, you know, to avoid causing any offence to anybody or making sure that I'm modelling that correct vocabulary for the children as well so that they pick up on the language that I'm using and almost mimic that. And I think that's something, obviously, my lack of knowledge about, like I said, I don't know everything at all by any stretch of the imagination. So I think, yeah, increasing that confidence with the correct phrasing and the correct words to use is really, I think, would ease and... I get what you mean. It would make it a lot more comfortable and easier for you guys. Yeah, that's it, yeah. It would just make it feel less daunting, I think. A hundred percent. And actually, I think that's such a good point about not necessarily feeling confident enough to discuss this topic can then mean that potentially teachers steer away from it or don't actually feel like they want to acknowledge it if it's a bit tricky or difficult yeah definitely I think you know there's there's a big difference I think between dealing with what we usually see in a in a classroom you know as I said earlier like it tends to be things like weight stigma and um possibly the occasional comment about you know 
how a child may, I, I don't know, might have a rash or something like that. Or they, you know, children, they say things that, and that's the kind of thing that we deal with, obviously, as and when it turns up. And obviously, always encouraging children to be kind when they, before they speak and think about what they're going to say and how it can affect others. But that, I think, only goes so far when there are lots of things that children may come across that they have little understanding about, as do we. Exactly. Yeah. I think it takes, yeah, it takes a lot of honesty as well to acknowledge that it's, it's a tricky topic, you know. It's, yeah. It's difficult, in which case it's something that might make teachers feel a bit uncomfortable in those situations, and that's actually quite good to understand and put out there because it's it's not as simple as, you know, a, a math class where one plus one equals two and it's quite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It does have more sensitivity and care needed in order to address, so I completely agree. Definitely. So I do have one last question for you, Emily, which um, <laughs> I've got here, and it's a question that we ask all our guests who have come onto the podcast and basically at the Centre for Appearance Research we used to um, hold an in-person car weekly with cake and coffee which we now do virtually although without the cake sadly (laughs) so (laughs) this is all very hypothetically speaking if you were to bake a cake for this imaginary coffee morning which we no longer have what cake might you bring Oh, that's a tricky question. It is tricky. I probably would go for a carrot. I like a good carrot cake. We do like a carrot cake at Car. I've missed carrot cake at Car. It is so good. It's just got a bit of everything in there and it's stodgy, which is just great. Yeah, especially now it's coming into more of like autumnal season. You want something that's quite wholesome and makes you warm inside (laughs) yeah perfect choice yeah oh no I love that I would I would say you can come and grace us with your carrot cake at any point but (laughs) given that we won't be seeing coffee mornings for a foreseeable future um if you do have a picture of one that you might bake send it to me (laughs) oh yeah I'll do that I've got got enough I do uh yeah I've got a my Instagram is probably just filled with cakes and cheesecakes and you know nothing else to put on there (laughs) oh your, your Instagram sounds delightful. So. <laughs> oh, no, but thank you so much, Emily. It was, it was lovely to have you. No, thank you very much. It was lovely to be on the show. That was so interesting, and it's really good to hear and get the opinion of a primary school teacher to get their perspective on this topic. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think as researchers, it's really important to get these multiple perspectives on things as like research does provide us with evidence and information but it doesn't actually give you the whole picture completely and that's why it's really important for us to do what we call ppi so patient and public involvement in research so we can continue to develop interventions with the involvement and help of people who are and will be using the material themselves because they have expertise in a whole different area than what we do Yeah, 100%. And I know that 
we are digressing slightly here from the topic at hand, but I do want to say that I think it is so important that with research going forward, we move kind of away from the notion of the ivory towers and the stereotypical white lab coat scientists um, to what some mm. call a participatory action research approach, PAR for short, because we love acronyms, you know, um, where research actively includes and supports the users in the creation of interventions and development. But anyway, that was a complete side note. Um, but I did feel that it's worth mentioning. Yeah, for sure. And it's something that I know our team speaks about a lot as well. And we actually use a slightly different acronym. So community-based participatory research, which is very difficult to say, um, so, or CBPR. And it is exactly that involving, the you know, if you're developing an intervention for the community, getting the involvement of the community in all stages of the research in terms of designing and developing the intervention, actually probably starts before that in terms of identifying the research question, what is it that you want an intervention for, co-developing the intervention, then working out how to evaluate it, evaluating it, and then how do you then share the findings. Um, It's a whole area of science and way of doing research that's really good to explore if you are a researcher listening to this. Yeah, definitely. It's something that we are all actively talking about and discussing to move towards for sure. Yeah, brilliant. So... I think this ties in actually with our next segment where we will begin to highlight what's been done in regards to interventions to target acceptance of appearance in primary school and what's needed um, and what's still to come. So following on from Emily's points. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing we would like to mention is the creation of the Everybody's Different, the Appearance Game, which was created in partnership with Focus Games. We have actually mentioned this game on the podcast before, so we'll keep this brief, but essentially it's an education board game for children aged nine and above, which helps children to discuss and explore in a series of activities, topics around appearance. Oh, and I think we actually said in that episode on tackling body image in secondary schools that we would update on on the game. Great memory. Yeah, we actually did. So um, I think this is a good time to give the update. So a uh, study conducted by Cars Ella Guest and Amy Slater conducted, they conducted a study that evaluated the board game And they found that it was effective in increasing knowledge about the importance of appearance diversity. And kids also showed that they understood the key messages related to appearance altering conditions and positive body image. And also, they had really good fun playing it. So it it was quite a few positive outcomes of, of that study. That's brilliant. And the fun is such an important part of these interventions, because if it's not fun, people won't do it so it's a good point that's good to know so we've got the board game what else is out there yeah so actually we have a couple of books such as your body is brilliant which is body respect for children that's the title and it's by sigrin daniel stotter and another book called shapesville by andy mills becky osborne and erica neitz and in fact, a study by Haley Donut and Marika Tigman, published in 2008, actually evaluated the book Shapesville with young girls aged five to nine years in Australia and found that after reading the book, the girls immediately felt more satisfied with their appearance, were less likely to stereotype based on weight and in- less likely to internalise media ideals. And finally, their knowledge on things like recognising their special talents were we're all found, so all very positive. 
And to add to that, these like positive effects were still largely significant, even six weeks afterwards on a follow-up. So this highlights the power of things like this being included in classroom activities, very simple things like a book or a game um, and how they can have quite positive impacts. Yeah, it's really great to hear about the impacts they're having and it actually relates to some of the other work going on at CAR with the ebook that Emily Matheson and, and Harriet Smith have been working on and they've also got the playable and actually we'll have an episode with them soon as well um, because I think it's how all of these things are related and they're just such creative ways of engaging young people on these topics because again, going back to that fun point, really, really important that that activities themselves are fun um, as well as being effective so that sweet spot of, of them being both so yeah so that'll be a great episode coming up yeah so we've got lots of great resources out there but do we know of any teacher-led programs that can be delivered in primary schools for body image related content yeah well sadly in terms of actually yeah teacher-led programs this is in its infancy there is a programme titled ABC4YC, which has been developed by Stephanie Damiano, Zali Yeager, Sean McLean and Susan Paxton. Great team. <laughs> Great team. And also Zali, you might recognise the name. She was on our Body Confident Mums episode with Laura Hart and Ivanka Pritchard. Yes. Um, great episode. <laughs> Thanks for linking that. <laughs> so they developed a universal body dissatisfaction and weight stigma prevention program. Well, that was quite a mouthful. <laughs> for boys and girls aged five to eight years. And a pilot study published about two years ago now found promising findings in Australia. However, the, the thing is here, this is only a pilot and this kind of does need further evaluation. So there is so much more work to be done here for sure. Okay, so... I think let's see if we can recap the whole episode and sum things up. We know that typically school-based body image interventions are focused on adolescents, but there's some research to indicate that body image might be a concern for children younger than the age of 11, so before they get to secondary school. And then we know that children develop negative attitudes towards different types of different appearances from a very young age, and teachers see this happening and agree that it's important, but there's a lack of evidence-based resources to tackle this. Is that right? Have I got it? You have absolutely nailed that. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have done it better myself. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. So this is where we are currently standing in the area of promoting acceptance of appearances um, in primary school specifically, and essentially where my PhD comes in. <laughs> This episode, hang on a minute, Jade, hang on a minute. This episode has pretty much been your PhD, hasn't it, Jade? Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, it's been rather cathartic doing an episode on this topic. I'm clearly passionate, if you couldn't tell. Um, no, not at all. You are not engaged at, <laughs> at all. <laughs> Sat at the back of the class. No. <laughs> I'm right at the front, taking notes. Yeah, taking notes, hand up every two seconds. Oh. Fresh set of stationery. I'm good to go. <laughs> um, no, anyway, I think on that note, we should wrap up this episode, don't you? Sounds good to me. So I actually think I forgot how we do this bit. It's been such a while. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I kind of feel this is how the students are going to be feeling walking back into the classroom. Like, 
what do I do again? <laughs> I know, I know, with all the different rules and, and set up as well. But hopefully still with that shiny new stationery, the new pens, notebooks, hopefully that's all there. Yeah, I I really hope because that's what everyone needs on their first day back to school. Fresh set of pens. And all the best if you are going back into the classroom, students and teachers. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, on that note, thank you to Emily for joining us um, on this episode and please do join us next month. Brilliant. See you then, Jade. See you you (laughs) you then. (laughs) 